Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Right now, non-Native owned companies often have a competitive advantage for many projects, even when tribes are doing the hiring. But new updates on the way for a law more than a century old could change that. The new language makes it easier for Native contractors, for instance, to secure work on contracts for the Indian Health Service. It promises to be a major step forward for many tribal economies. We're going to hear more about it, coming up right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Navajo Nation is keeping its mask mandate in place as restrictions have been lifted in neighboring communities of the reservation. The tribe's mandate remains in effect in all public places within the Navajo Nation. The mask mandate has been in place for nearly two years. Healthcare officials and tribal leaders say they're not letting their guard down in the fight against COVID-19 as states including New Mexico have lifted their face covering mandate. Navajo Nation President Jonathan Nez is urging residents on the reservation to continue to take precautions. Even though we've heard jurisdictions around us and, you know, even the CDC saying you don't have to wear a mask. And then later on they say, well, put the mask back on. On the Navajo Nation, we never wavered. We continue to uh, keep our mask mandate in place. Uh, we want to, you know, keep our citizens um safe throughout this pandemic. It's about uh, protecting our families, or protecting our community, and protecting our uh, Navajo Nation. You know, it's not about, you know, restricting anybody's freedom by forcing people to wear masks. I mean, we, we just went through a tough surge uh, last year and many surges uh, since then. And we feel like these protocols have kept us safe. Nez is asking Navajo citizens to wear masks when traveling off the reservation. The tribe has been distributing masks across Navajo land during basketball games and other events. Meanwhile, the St. Regis Mohawk Tribe in New York revoked its indoor mask mandate on Friday. The tribe's emergency operations center announced the changes to its mask requirement in response to high vaccination rates and a drop in COVID-19 cases. The tribe's decision follows the state's move last month to lift its mask mandate in public places. Officials say they're still encouraging the wearing of masks, but it's now an individual's choice. The tribe's medical director, Dr. Benson Kelly, says they're not out of the woods yet. There are still cases in the community, but it now comes down to personal choice. And Kelly encourages people to respect and support those who want to continue to wear masks. According to the tribe, hospitalizations have reduced and the tribe's vaccination rate is at 71.4% of local residents. Some requirements will remain in place for healthcare, group homes, and other operations due to tribal and federal regulations. California state lawmakers recently focused on how past experiences of Native Americans have shaped their attitudes toward education. The Assembly Select Committee on Native American Affairs held a hearing on the topic last week. Assembly member James Ramos chairs the Select Committee. He says these types of discussions will further public understanding of challenges facing Native American students. The general public has no idea that these types of atrocities, these types of strip of assimilation and culture even took place here in the state of California. 
So the ignorance um, contributes to a lot of the hurdles that we still see going on in the state of California and in the, in the school systems in many areas. So this will shed a light to talk about those issues so that we can truly move forward and correct um, the past histories inflicted upon our people. And I say our people because we sit here as the chair of the Assembly Native American Select Committee and the only California Indian uh, elected in the state legislature. And this is also um, those that are watching and those in the audience, a time for other California Indian people, Native American people to run for office, to be able to be in these seats. The hearing included discussions on boarding schools, the renaming of places and institutions to represent Native Americans, and the need for a California tribal college. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Albuquerque Hispano Chamber of Commerce's Convention and Tourism Department, providing complete convention and visitor planning services to Hispanic and Native American conventions. Information on convention and tourism services at ahcnm.org. Support by the Center for Indigenous Cancer Research at Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center, dedicated to cancer research, medicine, and cancer care for indigenous population. A no-charge online risk assessment tool is available at roswellpark.org slash assessme. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. A law more than a century old has the capacity to significantly boost tribal economies. Now, after all that time, updates to the Bayindan Act could help it reach its potential. The updates will reduce the barriers for Native-owned contractors and other businesses, closing a competitive gap that has seen them losing out on many government-funded contracts for projects like building tribal health facilities. Assistant Secretary for Indian Affairs Brian Newland says the updates widen the door to procurement opportunities at the Department of the Interior for tribal and individually owned Indian businesses. Are you a Native-owned business that could benefit? We'll help you figure that out this hour. You can also join the discussion by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us today from Greyhorse, Oklahoma is Kay Bills, the president of Strategic Native American Partnerships, LLC. She's a member of the Osage Nation. Welcome to Native America Calling Kay. Thank you, glad to be here. And joining us from Rockville, Maryland is Santiago Almaras. He's the director of the Office of Management Services at the Indian Health Service. He's San Carlos Apache. Welcome to Native America Calling as well, Santiago. Thank you, great to be on. Kay, please start us off today. Tell us more about your organization's Strategic Native American Partnerships and your connection to the Bayindan Act. Well, Strategic Native American Partnerships is uh, my company, and I've been dealing with the Bayindan Act since about 1997. I started out in Alaska, and I'm happy to know the Alaskans are online today. And I had a computer business, and in those days, there were no cell phones or no internet, 
but I was really into it early, and I got into the 8A program as an Indian contractor. From there, I went to uh, Washington, D.C. in 1997, and was given a copy of a decision from 1988, which said that the Bi-Indian Act was appropriate. No one had even heard of it, so we started talking about it. And now, many, many years later, here we are. Interesting. So can you tell us a little bit more about the Buy Indian Act? Exactly what does it do and how does it support Native-owned business? Well, the Buy Indian Act was enacted in back in 1910. Uh, you had William Taft was the president. They had already done the Allotment Act. But someone got the idea that we should have make the Indians more white, of course. And so they started making them farmers and ranchers, and somebody came up with the idea of making them merchants. So they wrote the Bi-Indian Act of 1910, which basically said that the federal government will buy the products and services of native businesses. And it just stopped at that point. Because you may remember, as native people, we weren't in that position even now. We're the consumers. We never stepped back behind the counter as merchants. And so it just kind of went by the wayside until actually some folks um, began to talk about, uh, I think it was architectural services. And there were some Alaskans and others who actually challenged this and they managed to bring it out. And it just began to have a life of its own, a very slow life. But the Buy Indian Act basically says that the federal government shall shall buy the products and services of native-owned businesses, and it was pretty. It's a pretty simple one, really. Now, okay, you mentioned the Buy Indian Act has been around the book since 1910, so well over 100 years. However, as recently as 2015, just seven years ago, it was reported that only between 12 and 15% of Indian Health Service contracts were awarded to Native-owned businesses. Why is that? Well, they had, um, first of all, we have to be found. The Native businesses, again, were slowly evolving. I think a lot of that came through the 8A programs, which were from 1990s, as they began to, to take on a life of their own. And the Native businesses were not there. So we finally started developing them, um, and that's, that's one of our problems we have today is not being able to have enough Indian businesses to fulfill the act. I'm sorry if I got distracted there. Oh, that's okay. So you, you mentioned the 8A program, and I'm glad you did because that is a small business association. That's an SBA program designed for socially and economically disadvantaged business owners. And many Native-owned businesses have that 8A certification because it provides advantages when seeking, for example, set-aside government contracts and even sole source contracts. And I think our listeners could benefit, though, from an explanation for how Regarding both the Buy Indian Act and 8A, how is Buy Indian different from 8A specifically? Just so our viewers can, or listeners can get a little bit more background. Oh, that's the that's the beauty of the Buy Indian Act. There's no time limit. You don't have to, uh, under the 8A. You have nine years to develop a business. The Indian Buy Indian Act does not have a timeline, 
And until they, unless you're disenrolled or something and you lose your Indian status, which is not going to happen, you can stay in the program. It's a very easy entrance, whereas the 8A application takes months and months of of, um, paperwork. It also requires two years in business for Indian-owned, not for tribe. But the 8A is uh, very heavily um, paperwork intensive. The By Indian Act, you simply have your CBDI card or your tribal membership cards, and that, and you have to, of course, have a business. You also have to have 51% ownership, and you have to deal with the rule of two. And the rule of two applies to the By Indian Act, unless there's exceptions. And many, I'm sure Santiago can talk about when it doesn't apply, the rule of two. Uh, but the By Indian Act is beautiful. It's a very easy entrance into the federal co- government. By easy, I mean as a paperwork-wise. Uh, but it's uh, difficult. There's still a lot of regulations that go along with any federal procurement. Well, let's go ahead and bring Santiago in the conversation now. And Santiago, can you tell us what are these new updates to the By Indian Act, and how do they remove barriers for Native-owned businesses? Oh yes, sir. Um, so the By Indian Act, for uh, more more specifically, uh, the update of the, to the rule alleviates unnecessary regu- regulatory burden on uh, Indian economic enterprises. They also expand application of the By Indian Act to all construction, um, and then it also um, better adheres to the language of the By Indian Act, as well as strengthens oversight of the By Indian Act to reduce the potential for fraud. And abuse, and then of course, lastly, uh, clarifies the preference for Indian economic enterprises. So, who are the biggest beneficiaries of the changes to this law? Definitely, Indian country and, and those uh, contractors uh, that established themselves as Indian economic enterprises. Um, also, for uh, for Indian Health Service and for Bureau of Indian Affairs um, that provide support to uh, Indian country when it comes to law enforcement, education, and for Indian Health Service, specifically to uh, providing health care services to uh, Native American communities. Now, Santiago, in the past, why has it been so difficult for Indian Health Service to support Native businesses? What is it? Is it uh, regulatory? Is it policy related or just logistics? I would say it's a combination of both. Um, I, I started my career off with Indian Health Service in 2003, um, and as I moved forward into Beer of Indian Affairs uh, about a decade later, uh, that's when I first learned of the Buy Indian Act initiative uh, to get the final rule passed for the Department of Interior. Um, and so when I first established, when we first established the final rule with BIA, uh, there were challenges as, as Key identified in identifying uh, Native-owned businesses that provide goods and services uh, under Bearvian Affairs, specifically for education and for law enforcement. This is the same for Indian Health Service, where we do provide medical goods and services. Uh, we did have the final rule. I'm sorry, we did have um, HHS acquisition regulations in place, although on, for the Buy Indian Act, they were not uh, entirely um, uh, specific uh, to how IHS was going to comply with the act, 
how we were going to report uh, to ensure transparency, uh, in addition to uh, how we're going to uh, train um, our staff in identifying the importance of by Indian Act. Uh, so now that we do have that final rule in place, uh, we have a little more teeth uh, to be able to ensure that uh, our acquisition community as well as our uh, IHS staff understand the importance of this act uh, and how it can affect uh, ensuring that we support, you know, uh, um, economic stability and, and, and development and growth in Indian country. Okay, well, folks, we are talking today about the Buy Indian Act and updates to the Buy Indian Act, which will remove some of these barriers that have made it challenging in the past for native owned businesses to qualify for some of these uh, federal contracts, specifically with regard to the Indian Health Service and the Bureau of Indian Affairs, uh, the two federal agencies within the federal government that are authorized to utilize the Buy Indian Act. And we've got a great conversation going. We're learning a lot about this. So if you are a native business owner or an aspiring native business owner, this show definitely is in your wheel well. Uh, we are going to have to take a short break, but if you have any questions or comments, please just give us a holler. 1-800-996-2848. That's the number to call. You're listening again to Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. We'll be back right after this break. Eagles are more than a majestic bird. They're sacred for many tribes. But now they face a serious threat. A new study finds nearly half of the eagle population is suffering from lead poisoning. We'll find out the causes and some of the solutions on the way on the next Native America Calling.
You're tuned in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're learning about the Buy-Indian Act today. It's a law that is a century old, but recent updates could make a significant difference for many Native-owned businesses. Are you one of them? Would you like to be? We want to hear from you today. 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Before we went to break, we were listening to Santiago Almaras, and he was explaining a little bit of the background on the Bayindan Act and some of these updates that are underway to make uh, Native-owned businesses more successful with regard to contracts uh, by the Bureau of Indian Affairs, issued by the Bureau of Indian Affairs and the Indian Health Service. And Santiago, I wanted to ask you, what are some of the, the problems with the previous way Bayindan Act was implemented that... Uh, they were really brought about these updates that apparently are so, so uh, long overdue. Uh, yes, sir. So one of the one of the important factors um, is the uh, expanded application of the Binding Act to all construction. Uh, and that's an important piece uh, specifically for IHS uh, since we, we do obligate, um, well, overall for annual commercial obligations, we, we obligate about a billion dollars a year. Uh, and commercial contracts, and, and a big, a large size of that is construction. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we recently just, um, uh, with the infrastructure investment bill, uh, that is also bringing in about $3.5 billion uh, in construction activities. Uh, so this particular change to adding all construction um, under the Buy Indian Act um, is is actually great timing uh, because that then allows uh, IHS uh, to uh, set aside these particular construction projects to native-owned companies. Uh, so that, that is a huge factor. Um, I can't stress that enough uh, on, on this particular uh, change to the uh, regulations. So Santiago, are, does this specifically uh, benefit native-owned construction firms, or are there other types of native-owned businesses that will benefit as well because of these updates? Uh, more, as, as I mentioned earlier, uh, um, with the Bureau of Indian Affairs, uh, when we first uh, passed the rule, the final rule, the initial rule back in 2015, uh, there weren't a lot of native-owned companies uh, that provided goods and services uh, for law enforcement and for medical, I'm sorry, for educational services. As we started to be more uh, consistent with setting aside by Indian, um, for by Indian, uh, we noticed that there was an increase uh, in those native uh, companies either establishing themselves or partnering up with other companies uh, to provide these goods and services. Uh, we anticipate here at IHS that the same will occur um, since this final rule is, is effective next week on March 14th, IHS will begin to uh, set aside uh, goods and services uh, acquisi under acquisitions to native-owned businesses. Um, we may find that there may be a lack of uh, medical uh, goods and service uh, providers that are under that are native-owned, um, but we see this improvement uh, down the road uh, and then establishing themselves uh, as we be as we're more consistent with satisfying under the Buy Indian Act. Okay, well, thank you for that background. And folks, we do have a caller on the line, Christopher. He is in Pine Ridge, South Dakota, and he's listening on Keeley. Christopher, you're on Native America calling. Yeah, good afternoon. I'd like to say first off, thank you. It's morning here still. 
Thank you to your Sean and uh, I didn't quite hear. Uh, Gregorio is the first name. Santiago, um, we have. Santiago, my apologies. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your efforts and all that you're doing for the people and First Peoples. And uh, as an ally of First Peoples, and I'm very intrigued by your dialogue and, uh, you know, excited about it. But my question was, you know, I, here in Pine Ridge, uh, as our pseudo-sovereignty, sovereign nation, a couple of years ago we voted to have uh, THC uh, legalized on, our, on the reservation here. So my question is how, like I see a bigger picture, my nephews are building uh, greenhouses all around the different districts on the reservation. So how would they uh, be able to segue that into using the, the, the hemp, you know, and, and, and uh, not hemp, but THC and the CBD to start a business for themselves to how, how would they have to tie that into IHS? But so my question is, would they, you're, you're suggesting they start their own business because they're my nephews and my aunt and uncle are both enrolled members. So would they, how would that work? Would they start a business and then they would have to tie it into IHS? Okay, Christopher, thank you for that for that question. And, and I'm going to go ahead and let Kay Bills field this question regarding uh, apparently the, uh, an idea for a cannabis business that maybe could potentially um, benefit from the buy-in the neck. Kay, uh, what kind of guidance can you offer Christopher up there in Pine Ridge? Well, Christopher, you, I think all the tribes do, they don't realize that the services that they provide, which are, whether it's janitorial because they're cleaning their tribal businesses, or they're doing construction. Forget the THC, but you are a cons form up a construction company. And from that, you can start looking at the opportunities for, um, if you're building the greenhouses, you've got tools, you've got a business going. So you've got to focus on the fact that you're a construction company. And construction uh, under just like Santiago said, is the huge number of jobs that they're going to be doing everywhere. And you don't need to be, you also need to think of out of the region. You do construction in there, but with federal contracting, you may be doing construction here in Greyhorse or anywhere else that the government is trying to build or do repairs. And so you'd want to get them licensed. Do you have a tribe? Christopher, is your tribe, uh, does it have, the regulations in place to form up LLCs or corporations. Christopher, are you still in the labor program? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, great. Day labor, Kate, did you hear that? Yeah, they're, right, so they're under. Say again? It's just expanding out. So I think they need to start their own business and then they can have access to the funding is what I'm hearing. Well, yes, that's exactly what you're hearing. So they've got this, they've got the tools, they've got the knowledge, they form up a construction company. But one of the things that they want to do is to look for other Indian construction companies and partner and team up and do joint ventures, and that will take them a step closer to the federal contracting because you you can also find out who's doing federal contracting in your area and talk to those folks, tell them you've got some skills bring your company under as a joint printer or as a um, subcontractor. 
Well, okay, thank you for that response. And again, thanks again for that question, Christopher. And I, I want to give Santiago a chance to respond to you because I think some of our listeners might be a, a little bit interested here. So we're talking about a potential cannabis business and Kay mentions that it's specifically for construction companies. But I just want to clarify, Santiago. So say there's this potential cannabis business up in South Dakota, uh, Pine Ridge area. Uh, any way through buy Indian that they could actually sell their product to IHS facilities who need cannabis products for medicinal purposes there in those service units? Is there any way that could fit under buy Indian or would it specifically be just these contracts for building facilities and such and such? Yeah, I think I don't believe that uh, the use of, of THC is, is legal under federal law. Um, and I believe federal law specifically prohibits the use of, of uh, marijuana uh, under, under these circumstances. Um, and in the event that, that there are down the road um, changes to this and federal contract dollars do become uh, available, uh, then of course that, that, that's another question. Um, so, so at the moment now, we, we, I haven't seen or heard of any uh, current or future contract opportunities that fall in that that category. These are these are more uh, commercial type uh, medical goods and services to include construction and of course other commercial services like office supplies, janitorial services, etc. Okay, and yeah, uh, it, um, cannabis is you know illegal under federal law, like you mentioned. So, so I'm curious. You know, we're talking about um, some of these. You know, these are big projects like building a healthcare facility or some of these big. Um, construction jobs. So uh, what about like just small native owned businesses? You know, we have a lot of small contractors in in various parts of, of Indian country who, you know, go out and bid on houses and things like that. And, and they do great work, but they're small, small operations. Uh, using Buy Indian Act, is, are there opportunities for those smaller native owned construction companies as well? Or is it really going to be geared more towards these large, large tribally uh, managed construction businesses, or some of these folks have just been around a long time and have large operations. Uh, yes, we, we we do want the opportunities for those smaller businesses uh, with the socioeconomic statuses to be able to compete for these types of, of construction projects. Uh, that I think that's the intent that that Kay mentioned earlier to be able to uh, have Indian country contractors, whether they're construction or in the ad administrative or medical fields uh, to be able to uh, place themselves in, an, in, an, in a position to be able to, uh, to have opportunities to bid and propose uh, on these particular contract opportunities. So, so the, the actual uh, um, the availability is there for the federal funds, uh, federal contract funds, uh, to be able to uh, expand on these opportunities, um, so so yeah, it, it's it's something that that we're definitely excited about here at IHS, um, and and as we we begin to be more consistent, uh, as mentioned earlier, we're gonna we are hoping to see uh, and anticipate to see that that these smaller businesses uh, start to root them up up from the ground in terms of establishing themselves or partnering up with other uh, companies that already provide these types of goods and services. Well, thanks, Santiago. Kay, I'm imagining a listener today um, tuning into our show, and, and uh, maybe they don't have a business 
idea yet, but they, they, they have visions of owning a business someday, being an entrepreneur. And what, what are some things that a, an aspiring native entrepreneur can do to better align themselves with these federal contracts and these programs that are geared towards assisting and supporting native owned business? First of all, they have to understand what the federal government buys, where they buy it, and who they buy from. And all of that is public information under uh, the federal procurement websites, the SBA. There are lists. You need to really think about what does this agency buy. They don't buy, as we just found out, the THC. They won't for a long time until because they're legal. But they buy masks. They buy services. For example, janitorial services, someone has to clean those hospitals or the construction, they 